reading today comes from the gospel we call Luke chapter 20, or chapter 19, verses 29 through 48. As Jesus came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there. When you enter it, you'll find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he said. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. As Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples. Tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. As Jesus came to the city and observed it, he wept over it. He said, If only you knew on this of all days the things that lead to peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, encircle you, and attack you from all sides. They will crush you completely, you and the people within you. They won't leave one stone on top of another within you because you didn't recognize the time of your gracious visit from God. When Jesus entered the temple, he threw out those who were selling things there. He said to them, it's written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a hideout for crooks. Jesus was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests, the legal experts, and the foremost leaders among the people were seeking to kill him. However, they couldn't find a way to do it because all the people were enthralled with what they heard. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're celebrating, but we're still in Lent. So we're going to bring it down a little bit, right? Because it's been fun wrestling with these questions, wrestling with them in a way that hopefully haunts you a bit because some of these questions haunt you. Some of these questions pierce your soul and leave you without being able to just craft a simple answer and move on. They linger, I hope. We started with, what are you looking for? What is your name? Where is your faith? Do you see this woman? Do you want to get well? Who do you say I am? These have all been questions of Jesus. Today I'm going to pose my question based on the passage. Who did they expect? Now I want you to close your eyes for me. Close your eyes, and I'm going to give you a vision. I want you to craft the vision. I want you to think about what it looked like, what it smelled like, what the heat of the sun felt like. You are on your way to Jerusalem for Passover. You've traveled from your home. You've brought some things with you to eat along the way. You're traveling with friends and neighbors. There are children laughing and running around playing. You're, you're talking with each other about the hardships 
that has been life under Roman occupation. You look forward to going to Jerusalem to be with your people to tell your story about how God liberated you from Egypt and God still liberates you from all of the oppressive forces that are upon you because that is God. And we get to tell the story again. We get to see people and we get to see the mighty city, Jerusalem. We cast our eyes on the temple and we've been walking And we are finally almost there when we come into the last little town that lies on the outskirts of the city. And from the town, we can even see the city and we hear a bustle of noise. Well, it's Passover celebration. That's normal, except that we see a a man on a donkey. And we see people around him shouting and dancing. They're throwing their clothes on the ground. They are waving palms. They are shouting Hosanna. They are shouting psalms. There's excitement. And you know the scene because you've heard from the prophet Zechariah when it was read, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet... He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This king, it continues in Zechariah, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth because of the covenant that God made with you, sealed with blood. God will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. We see the scene and we know what it means. There's a king here. You can open your eyes. The scene is kingship. The whole scene we read today, everything about it. And yet they go from Hosanna on Sunday to crucify him on Friday. What? What happened? What happened that disappointed them so completely that they went from hailing him, ready to follow him anywhere into battle, to hanging him on, the, on a cross, the most shameful, painful death imaginable? What did they expect? that brought this immense disappointment? Who did they expect Jesus to be? Who, did, who do we expect? The entire scene's like a triumphal entry, which is something we find in history again and again. Alexander the Great and Caesar, when they had a victory, they would march into the town in a big procession, and all the things that we see in our scene today would have been seen over all of those kings too. So the gospel writer is making sure we understand that Jesus enters as a king. And the untying of the donkey, the riding from the Mount of Olives specifically, the branches, the psalm shouted, it's all this triumphal entry to parallel all the powerful kings they have seen many times. And they've watched powerful kings come through their land, and now they have one, but this king is a Messiah. They're a Messiah. Riding in plain view of the Roman authority, by the way, And finally, they're thinking, God is doing something because I'm so tired of this whole world having been crashed down upon us and falling apart everywhere we look because of Rome. But in a few days, this Messiah will be rejected and spat on. What happened? 
We love to hear stories about peace and freedom, grace and forgiveness, mercy and love. Yes, we love these stories. We want to follow a king like Jesus, who is the most powerful man to ever walk the earth, who heals people, who brings about miracles, who can walk on that water. But let's rethink the scene. Close your eyes again. You're back in the scene. Who is it that's celebrating with Jesus? What do they look like? Are they young? Are they old? Are they men? Are they women? Are they rich? Are they poor? Who surrounds Jesus? It says he was surrounded by the whole throng of his disciples. So you can open your eyes again. Let's let's consider who followed Jesus around all the time? The poor? The blind? The lame? Those God-forsaken Samaritans? The Gentiles? The tax collectors? Women? Lepers? Prostitutes? What kind of king is Jesus anyway? This is his crowd. Now the first thing that Jesus encounters in Jerusalem is very telling. The first thing he encounters is the Pharisees. They are part of the religious elite, the devout And of course, they have a problem with this triumphal scene because of all the people that Jesus has around him and what they're saying. They're proclaiming Jesus as king. And really, all these people that are celebrating, why wouldn't they? They've all received forgiveness and restoration. They've witnessed miracle. They have Jesus who's been preaching to them and inviting them to the table. But the Pharisees are having none of it because their expectation was a little different. Maybe they were expecting a grander man with a more righteous aura, whatever that looks like. Now, the Pharisees weren't the only ones on the scene. There were zealots there. Zealots believe that God will lead up, raise up a Messiah to pick up a sword, and they will go to battle, and they will fight off Rome, and God will be with them. How many times did that happen in the Old Testament stories? They were expecting a warrior like David. Now, the Sadducees are also there, another group. The Sadducees ran the temple, and they've been expecting a Messiah that's all about being a priest to come in to the temple and the altar to restore that to all of its glory. The entire scene is full of expectations. Every group has a different set of expectations. Jesus responds to all the groups, and I'm going to walk you through how he responds to each group, and he uses their own words, scripture, prophetic writings that they know, prophetic writings that they've studied, that they probably had memorized, and yet they miss the whole point. So Zealots, he rides in on a donkey. Okay, Zealots wouldn't have liked that because Zealots won a warrior. But Jesus rides in on a donkey because he's a king of peace, as foretold by Zechariah's scene. And if we were to read it in today's language, the king's purpose, according to Zechariah, is I will remove all the tanks and helicopters. I will destroy all guns, bombs, and ammo. Your king will bring peace to all peoples, all nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, all peoples, all lands, into shalom, to God's holy peace. The zealots would have not want anything to do with that. For the Pharisees, he quotes Habakkuk, a wonderful prophet. He says that the stones will cry out if he makes the people stop. Well, here's what Habakkuk 2 says. Alas for you who get evil gain for your houses, setting your nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. The very stones will cry out from the wall and the plaster will respond from the woodwork. Jesus seems to think that the Pharisees have not done God's work. They've not reached out to help the widow and the orphan 
the destitute, the broken, the rejected. Instead, they've used their money to create thicker walls and bigger doors to stay safe. Maybe, maybe a wall to separate themselves from the undesirables. They've not brought the good news to all the nations as God promised through Abraham Israel would do. Instead, they've created a big long list of everything you have to do and all the laws you have to follow. And it's become such a heavy, burdensome, crushing yoke that people cannot carry it and it's going to take Jesus to come and offer another kind of yoke. A kind yoke. A light yoke. Sadly, in Luke, this is the last time we hear of the Pharisees. They exit the scene. We don't hear from them again. We don't know if they ever came around. Sadducees, the other group. Okay. First, Jesus goes into Jerusalem and weeps over it. The grand city, God's city, Jesus weeps and says, you have, you have no idea what brings peace. You think you do, and that's the sadness. You're so lost. And he, then he predicts the downfall of Jerusalem which will happen in just 40 years after he says it, when Rome surrounds it and crushes it. He brings in images from when Israel was exiled, defeated by Babylon several hundred years prior, and he lifts up that language to say, don't you realize you're not doing what God wants you to do? You're living like other kingdoms, and that is bound to fail. And then he goes to where the Sadducees are in the temple. He looks around, and what we know is he went into the part where the Gentiles prayed and worshiped, where they had turned it into a market where they were exploiting the poor, where they would make you change your money over to their money and, and take a nice little cut on the side to basically make the poor even poorer. This is the house of prayer meant for those who want to come and be a part of God. So Jesus cleanses it. And then he quotes from the prophet Jeremiah. He turned this into a den of thieves, a house of robbers, of crooks. So can you see why they were a little upset within just a few minutes of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem? Yeah. He immediately shows up as a king and makes no qualms about what kind of king he has come to be. He's the king of all people, of peace, not violence, of service, not self-centeredness, of praying for those who call themselves your enemy, not playing the very games they want you to play of protecting and investing in the poor and the hungry and the broken and the lost, not honoring the religious and the righteous. Jesus is not the king who's come to exalt Israel and say, well done, which is what they wanted. Jesus has come to call Israel itself to repentance, to humility and peace, even amidst occupation by Rome. What kind of king is Jesus? Paul states it this way. Jesus, who though he was from or in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most cursed death you could suffer. Do you picture Jesus as your king? like the one who has the sword and is going to conquer? Or do you picture the Jesus who has emptied himself completely, even willing to die in obedience? Do you picture a Jesus whose only goal is to add to your wealth, to bring blessing? Does your Jesus simply make your house bigger and your walls thicker so that you don't have to see the broken and the poor and the lame? 
Is Jesus the king for you, the one who agrees with you and who fights alongside of you? Does your Jesus point fingers and label others as unclean? Does your Jesus grab the sword and win at all costs? Does your Jesus lay all of that down and say, I'm not interested in that? I'm going to be humble. And I will face this world's violence, and I will take it all on, and I will not reciprocate one ounce of it. Or were you expecting someone else? Jesus came to a world that was not ready. Amen? And he had a price on his head before he ever even stepped foot in town. But he came anyway. Yeah. It's exciting, Kayleana. He came anyway. And you know why he came? Because you are worth it. You're worth it. Jesus will face all of that because you are worth it. He came for all of us, all of us who are lost, even the ones of us who don't know we're lost. He came for us too. Those who are hurting, those who have done everything to deserve judgment, those who forget of the debt paid and instead focus in on the debt others owe, those of us who wonder if, if there's anything good in this world, in God's created world, those of us who thirst and hunger for justice, Jesus came to Jerusalem for one thing, to die. He's been saying it all through the gospel. I'm coming there to be rejected, to be killed. And he will be. He'll be crowned and robed as a king. Not the, not the crown in the middle of the altar, the crowns to the side. A different kind of king's crown. He will be exalted, not on a throne, but on a cross. Because Jesus' kingdom is not like other kingdoms. The kingdom of God is not about becoming more powerful. It's about dying to yourself. It's not about you. It's about sacrificing for others. It's about limitless love. It's about unparalleled mercy. An unquenchable thirst for justice. For those who are oppressed, enslaved, and excluded. An unwavering courage to announce the good news for those who suffer, for those who bear the weight of a broken society. Because the good news of Jesus, of this king, this emptied out king, is for anyone and everyone who responds. How I wish I could rewrite the scripture, I could rewrite the story. How I wish the patriotic zealots, the righteous Pharisees and the devout Sadducees would have been more open, would have laid down their expectation and been a part of the festivities. How I wish they would have recognized that it was God himself standing before them in the flesh. How I wish they would have seen the love of God so clearly in the way that Christ's light shone upon everyone and was drawing people in instead of worrying about who was being drawn in, just celebrating that people were being drawn in. I wish they would have stopped being so stubborn about their expectations, about their interpretations, about their understanding of what God is doing. I wish they would have just let loose their firm grip on who they expected Jesus to be. I wish they would have let go of who they demanded Jesus to be. And I wish they would have softened their hearts to even say, what, what, if, what if this is bigger than me? I wish they would have opened their eyes and said, what if it's going to look a little different than I thought? 
I wish they would have dropped their swords, their prayer boxes, their fancy robes, their self-righteous judgment, and their egos that they would just die to self. Lay down their expectations that they might grab a palm branch and celebrate the coming of a king, the true Messiah, God in the flesh, the Christ. Who are you expecting?